Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and tech with the people making change happen. I'm Hilary Milnes, the senior reporter here at Glossy. This week's guest is Becca McCarran. She is the founder of Chromat, the New York-based fashion label for architecturally influenced lingerie, athletic, and swimwear. So to start, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your background. Uh, before you became a fashion designer, you kind of had a non-traditional path into fashion. So tell us you know, how, how your background influenced your beginnings as a designer. Yeah, when I was growing up, I had never met a fashion designer. I never imagined myself in this industry. I didn't really know it was a real job. Um, I knew I was creative, but uh, yeah, for me, when I was a teen, fashion meant like magazines and shopping in the mall. So it's, it's, it wasn't until later I realized that like at the center of all the PR about fashion is like makers and creators, artists who are working with these materials. So that's what really hooked me in later in life. But the path I chose, I went into architecture school and I really loved it. And I worked doing architecture for many years before starting to do little experiments on the side after work. Great. And so you mentioned that <clears throat> fashion is really about makers and creators. So what did you learn as an architect that, that led you actually to fashion? So in architecture school is where I really became obsessed with scaffolding and just non-traditional materials. It was really about material investigations and analyzing the site and in the context of a building and thinking about the surrounding area. And I think that same design process is what I do in fashion now, where it's all about joint structures and thinking about how materials fit together, analyzing the building site, which is now the body, and thinking about all the intersections that happen now that you can sort of intervene with materials. Yeah, and I think you can really see that when you look at your designs, they have that cage, uh, really structural design to them. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's great that you are able to really use that influence. Um, but then you really switched, uh, you were a CFDA Vogue fashion fund finalist, uh, last year. Uh, so then you, you kind of found yourself on the, on the traditional when it comes to, um, you know, becoming a fashion designer. So how did you get involved with that? Yeah, I, I, I was still in, I still can't believe that I was in the CFDA Vogue fashion fund in the same room with Anna Wintour. It's totally surreal thinking about where I came from and how I got to where I am now. But um, I guess for me, the path to fashion design was, it sort of was just experiment. So it was something I did for fun after work. I would just leave my office job where we were doing downtown redevelopment work and urban re revitalization and kind of urbanism. And then I would just play with fabric. I was living in Lynchburg, Virginia, which is a really small town, and I would go to Joanne Fabrics and buy the materials in their bridal section, like all the corsetry, and kind of play around making these cages and the scaffolding for the body, and that's where it all started for me. And what we do now, fast forward six years later, Chromat is... It's, we're lucky because we have sort of two sides to what we do. We have still the conceptual side where we're pushing and... Um, always experimenting with new materials and new ways to create garments that act as tools for the body and 
really um, focusing on innovation. And then we have the side that's actual wearable clothes, which that came later. <laughs> but at the beginning, I definitely wasn't thinking about, you know, um, I don't know, market research or the customer or um, even like comfort. I was really just experimenting with materials and, and seeing how they fit on the body. And then now what we do is informed by that structural foundation. Great. I think that's a, uh, a good point to bring up. Uh, your brand kind of goes off the idea of being structural experiments for the body. So what does that meant when it comes to incorporating technology and working? You've worked with brands like Intel. Uh, you know, how have you pushed fashion beyond to like the next level almost? Yeah, technology is so fun for me. I personally love I love thinking about the garment as a tool for the body. And so I kind of the same way architects expect their buildings to do work, they open and close, heat and cool the users, and they function on so many levels. I bring that expectation to garments where I look at a garment and I expect it to adapt and react to the how the body's feeling, how your mind's feeling, how the environment is changing, how you feel, and I believe that garments can, can act as tools. And so technology for us is just a, a means to an end, a means to find ways to make garments that are adaptive and... And also we've used technology in all different ways. Like we've done body scanning to kind of try and achieve a better fit for all different range of sizes. Um, we've done virtual reality to sort of give what I love about technology more than anything. And it's, um, it's impact on fashion is how it's made it so democratic and so accessible because for me, I don't come from a fashion background and, and sort of my first view into the fashion world was through fashion blogs back in 2008 when Susie Bubble was like the, she's still peak game, but, um, that was my intro. I had no, I'd never gone to fashion school. didn't know anyone who did this. And I love that through technology, so many people are able to get a glimpse into what fashion is and sort of the, the people that are creating it from the inside. And I love that storytelling as well. Mm -hmm. So there's so many different ways we've used technology. Yeah. And, and I, it, do you think that that really puts you in a good position to be more outside of the box and, and approach the industry with a, a different idea than a lot of other people who kind of grew up with the traditional look and they, it seems like people really buy into the exclusive element of it. And yeah, I was so never a fan of that. That was always did not attract me about fashion. I wasn't really into the exclusivity or the being into designer labels or I guess for me, the price was always prohibitive. I never felt included in that world. So I was just like, that's cool. You guys do your thing. I'm going to do my thing. And like, I never identified with that kind of selling of the dream being aspirational. That's just not... I don't really care. I don't really buy into that kind of PR side. And so I love the accessibility of fashion. I love the inclusivity and I want there to be more of it. Right. And, I, and it seems like that has shaped how you put your designs down the runway. Um, you're traditionally one of the more diverse shows at New York Fashion Week, um, which you've been showing for is that six. I don't even know anymore. Now. A long time. <laughs> A long time. The past few years. Uh, so, so how does that attitude really shape the way that you, you booked your shows? And, um, yeah, I find it super shocking that designers in this day and age and this, in this world that we're in now, that's so diverse and so, um, amazing that designers would choose to book all skinny white girls on the runway. That, that's shock. That is news to me. I was really frustrated in the beginning where, when I started doing runway shows, you know, I would book all the people in my world, my friends, people who inspired me. And that just happened to always be diverse living in New York City. There's so many amazing artists that 
we've collaborated with from the start and we got so much press at the beginning about how diverse we were and I was like no don't talk talk about the clothes like I spent six months working on this collection like this diversity is natural this is normal like right. what is unnormal what is weird and what is shocking is everyone else making the, these strange choices and mm -hmm. that should be the story but now so many years later I've I, I've kind of come to accept that this is part of our specific story and and I'm happy and I'm proud that when people think of who a chromat woman is, they, they I immediately know that it's a diverse woman and, and immediately feel included. And that's something I'm really proud of. Right, because you're including a customer that is so often overlooked. Um, and it's, it's really interesting that that was happening, those conversations. Uh, you know, you felt like it was, it should have been, why are you even talking about this? Uh, diversity is normal, like catering to, to that actual customer is normal. But you know, however many years later, we're still we're still there. But do you think yeah. progress has been made when it comes to diversity and fashion? Yeah, I think like there's um, more plus models being booked, like with Christian Siriano. It's just exciting to see um, models above a size four just seamlessly integrating into the runway shows and it not being a big deal. I think, yeah, when it's not news anymore, that's when we know that we'll have achieved our goals. Right, and uh, so. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about this past fashion week and this past fashion season. Uh, a lot was different, um, and you guys, you know, did your usual thing with with a tech-driven uh, runway show. But what else did you notice was was different this year? Did did you feel a different energy? Uh, it seems like a lot of people were talking about different things, and it was a little bit more chaotic than it usually was. Did you notice that? At you all? mean like just the fashion calendar as a whole, or like the chromat show? The fashion calendar. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, as far as like see now, buy now, all that. Yeah, it's a really confusing time for everyone because I agree with both sides where. It's like we spend so much time, so much effort um, putting together these big events and then there's absolutely no direct sales that, I mean, there is because more people find out about us and then they go on our website, but it's not a direct kind of like shoppable experience and it hasn't been in the past for us. And so I see the value and everything we post online, like there being some piece of it that um, the customer can can like link into. But on the other side, as someone who's kind of art driven and sometimes like working in high concepts, I, I wonder if we have developed this collection like six months in advance, if we kind of feel that same energy about it anymore. Like, I don't know. I'm totally open to experimenting. Um, some of the pieces on our runway were see now, buy now. But I do wonder if for, I guess, I don't know. It's just everyone wants everything all the time immediately and so we're trying to figure out what to do with that right it, it feels like a lot of designers are have been put into a position where they have to play to do two completely different audiences one is the the fashion crowd the buyers the press and the other is the consumer because they're so involved nowadays and and it seems for you the difference is you have one side of the business like you mentioned that's more experimental high concept and the other side, which is things you can actually wear. So how do you incorporate both of those into one fashion show? Well, you know, one thing that's interesting in a case study about our high concept projects versus our wearable projects, we send both down the runway. And to be honest, none of the high concept stuff shows up in stores. So if we are only showing things that are bio, that are shoppable, then you would lose all of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that would be a big loss for the excitement of Fashion Week, the pushing forward of, of new ideas of Fashion Week, it would just be 
going to the mall and going to like a fashion show and I feel like that would be not as exciting. Right. So so do you from your perspective has some of the creativity at, at other designer collections kind of been sacrificed because we're thinking about this mass consumer now. Have you do you think that that fashion is kind of suffering on that creative end overall? I think there'll always be cool interesting artists I was lucky enough to go to two shows this fashion week that I really love, Hood by Air and Gypsy Sport, and I loved seeing the way they interpret garments through this world that they both inhabit. And I mean, there'll always be people that are gonna be more commercial leaning, and there's always gonna be artists. And I think, hope, you know, everyone will figure out their own path. We're probably in the middle of that. It's funny when you say that your your collections actually go on sale and that people actually wear are the wearables because you're also working in wearable tech as we've come to know it. So tell us a little bit more about your uh, collaborations with Intel and uh, you know what, what you want clothing to be able to do to the body and how has those partnerships worked out and, and helped you sort of create that vision? Working with Intel was a dream. I really, really loved it. They flew me out to the Intel headquarters and I felt like I was going to space camp. Like It was just me and a bunch of engineers and being able to see them take our, like, so the way we worked is we, Chrome app kind of came up with ideas of what we want the garments to do. And then we just kind of pass it to this engineering team and they figured out all the functionality and all the wiring and all the electricity. And so I'm so grateful and so happy with the way that we've worked with them for two seasons and I'm about to go to um, Sao Paulo with the, one of their lead engineers, Carly. It was really cool to have a female engineer leading the project as well. We got along great. And um, I, there's so many things like to talk about that I love about working with scientists and engineers. And it's so interesting to, for them to bring their perspective about it. But just to tell you about the specific things we did, um, we made a dress that's called the Adrenaline Dress that is fully 3D printed. We collaborated with 3D print designer Francis Batanti. And the dress is fully 3D printed. And it, it has sensors embedded in it so that when the dress senses that your body temperature is changing or your breath is getting quicker, basically you're experiencing signs of adrenaline, the dress expands into this like over uh, enlarged silhouette. And so the inspiration behind that was um, biomimicry, animals in fight or flight mode, when they feel a sense of adrenaline, they, their physical form, um, it, the silhouette enlarges. And so we wanted to bring that concept to a garment. And then the second project we did that first season was a bra that it's a sports bra for running and when it senses you're getting hot and sweaty when your skin salinity changes and when your body temperature increases it opens vents and so you can allow your body to self-ventilate and not be prevented from overheating and so those were two garments that were directly tied to reacting to the body and so they act as tools to sort of in the the case of the sports bra, it allowed you to reach your peak performance and not be slowed down by overheating. And in the adrenaline dresses case, it sort of created this um, more empowered version of yourself. Right. Be a good thing to be wearing on the New York subway. Yeah, totally. Don't touch me. <laughs> uh, so I think those are two really interesting examples because on, on one hand, you have one that feels really futuristic. And on the other hand, you have one that it really plays into the types of smart fabrics and improved, especially in, in the athletic uh, wear space. Um, so do you think that wearables are where we need them to be in terms of uh, how much people can actually use them in their everyday lives? Or are they still something that, that you see as a, 
it's a little bit still like on the horizon. There's so many barriers that we came into contact to in our development. I feel like there are some that are in market now, like the watches and, and those things work and they do great. But I think when you're talking about the garments themselves, there's huge problems right now. Basically, 3D printing is not soft, it's not stretchy, it's not bendable. So it really will never act like fabric until they figure out the kind of filaments and fibers to be able to extrude to make these additive manufacturing. Like to, It has to be soft, it has to feel good on your body. And that's a huge problem right now with not only 3D printing, but batteries. Like No one wants a huge puck on their skin that's just not soft and it's not comfortable. And so you know, in the projects that we worked on with Intel, we realized, everyone realized that the chips and the batteries that they'd all developed in technology were built for hard things like computers, phones. They don't bend and they don't, they're not soft and they're not stretchy. And those are key components of anything you want on your body because your body's constantly in motion. So those are just a few things that I'm seeing, like more people developing flexible batteries, which is super cool. Um, more people developing, you know, um, like thread and fiber based uh, connective um, wiring. So there's a lot that's happening. I'm really, really excited to be in a place where I'm able to collaborate with all these people developing these things. Yeah, that's awesome. And and so when you're seeing uh, technical fabrics and smart fabrics um, hitting hitting stores, do, do you see that as kind of the beginning of, of these um, you know, wearable tech clothing becoming actually more physically wearable, more comfortable, um, and just more natural to the body. Yeah. I see a huge movement happening. Like didn't the U S government just spend like a billions of dollars to invest in smart fabrics? I see it. It's definitely going to change the way we, we interact with our garments. Right. If you had like one wearable garment, um, that's, you know, influenced by tech that you could wear and it could do anything for your body, what would you want it to do? Hmm. Well, if I was an Olympic athlete, I would have all kinds of things. For me, Olympic athletes are like the most peak human performance of the body. And it's something that we're always inspired by. And I feel like it's interesting. Um, well, that's a whole nother thing. I guess for me, day to day, uh, something that I really wish, I feel like I'm constantly changing clothes throughout the day. Um, when I get home, I go into like more baggy clothes. When I'm at work, I'm in tight things. When I'm at a party, I'm at all different things. So I would love for garments to shape shift with me throughout the day and change color. And so I wouldn't have to be changing all the time and yeah, yeah. regulate my temperature, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah. Oh man. There's so much exciting things like Nike's lab. I mean, you guys are across the street from Nike lab, so you get to see kind of the latest and greatest, but that would be a dream collab because they're developing, they have weird patents on all kinds of stuff that I want to experiment right. with, but I can't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They keep it a little bit more secretive. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, that's all really exciting. Um, so, but we've, we've previously spoke about, um, all the barriers in wearable tech and one of them, uh, that you didn't mention just now being scale. And so, you know, as we, as we've said, you're really, you have these really cool ideas, but they're limited to capsule collections. People can't actually wear them. And so why is that? How come you guys haven't been able to? Well, it's interesting. I sat down at the table with Intel and they were like, okay, we love these. We want to take it to market, but to get FCC licensing on it, it's going to cost like $50,000. Do you have that? And I was like, no. Is, so, that, is that per garment or, uh, I mean, like that's collection? just per anything per, like, I don't even know how the FCC regulations work. I don't know if it's per, like they have to approve every component of the electronic, but because we're not a consumer electronics company, that's not what we 
our that's not our main court industry that's sort of a barrier for us um but i do see people like intel collaborating with new balance people like big corporations that have budgets to go through the S fcc licensing process i think that they're, they're probably going to be the first to hit the market mm -hmm. so obviously money and resources is a, is a huge factor here no surprise there uh so for you guys you know how do you how are you working around that right now and and how do you in let that more tech-driven, high-concept side influence the actual garments that people can wear. Yeah, totally. I mean, we're lucky to have both sides of the equation where we're interested in concept and we're also interested in wearability, and they do inform each other constantly. Like all our um, kind of investigations with body scanning is directly related to the fact that we do swim and laundry and athletic wear. All these garments that are so close to your body, and if whether or not if they fit then you'll buy them. If they don't fit, you're not going to buy them. So fit is an obsession with, for us and fit with swimwear and making sure that each body is like, we're getting the proportions right of the suit. That's something we're definitely obsessed with. And we're utilizing all the technology and all the data we're, we're getting from body scanning to do that. Cool. And, and you guys don't have physical retail stores, right? No, we don't. We're, we have a studio, our studios in Bedside, Brooklyn, and anyone can come by and shop our collection out of our studio. But no, we're, our main stockist right now is Barney's. Cool. And so uh, you have Barney's. You also sell on in your online store. And so for you know the customer that comes across you guys online, how are you working with them to introduce these these items that you know you would want to try on in real life, um, but ensuring that it will fit and, and they'll be happy with it? Yeah, I mean people can buy a bunch of different sizes and then return them, just like all online shops, but. If anyone sends us their measurements or if anyone can get measured in real life, then that always helps with the fit as well. Mm -hmm. And how did you choose uh, Barney's as a retail partner? And, uh, you know, where else did you see the Chromat brand really fitting in? Barney's has been so supportive. It's crazy. They were actually one of the first people to buy the first um, cage collection that I developed, like, back when it was sort of a weird scaffolding um type thing and so they've always been really supportive and we're grateful to work with them um i think there's all different stores the things i want to i want to be in places where athletes like serious professional athletes get their gear i guess at that level you're just sponsored by one company but i'd love to be at that level where we're um supplying the most elite athletes with our sportswear yeah that'd be really cool uh, and what do you see fashion and your brand existing on a marketplace like Amazon? How do you, how do you work with online retailers like that? And do you think Amazon is the place for fashion? Well, it's interesting because we are on Amazon because of the CFTA Vogue fashion fund. It was a partnership with Amazon and they broadcast the entire like show. We were on this weird real, they're not calling it a reality show. It's called a unscripted series something Legal um, term. <laughs> yeah yeah or maybe they just don't want to seem as like you know anyway um <laughs> they're trying to make it look nice but so yeah all the designers as part of our cfta book fashion fund class were um we all put up a shop on amazon and i think like amazon has crazy reach like we sat in these meetings and they were telling us about their reach and how they can make a product appear or disappear like even if you're sold on the site if they don't like position it they just have it's like a a portal like a wormhole of just amazing crazy products that they they sell but of course the downside is their discounts like you can probably buy it in 6 months it'll go to like $25 and I don't know. So that's one challenge that we have with people like Amazon because they're so um, 
driven by the sales calendar mm-hmm. and the and the price competitive uh, yeah exactly well. yeah and uh you know you, you mentioned they have they have such crazy reach and they can do whatever they want with these products is that power almost frightening for a small designer oh totally i mean any monopoly in the digital tech world like facebook amazon google it's all scary and interesting mm-hmm. definitely uh and when it comes to bringing your more high concept collections into these partnerships. You mentioned Barney's has really supported uh, you guys from the beginning and you have their support from Intel. How are retailers working in in that wearable tech um, next level of fashion space? I have no idea because we've never sold any of our wearable tech to an actual retailer. Are Um, they they asking about it? Do they know what they're doing? I don't think... To be honest, I don't think many people see it as applicable to their lives as consumers, as buyers for stores, even most fashion designers, they don't really get it. Um, And I guess for me, I'm not driven by any kind of sales motivation ever. And that's never been kind of my MO. Like I'm not trying to fill a gap in the market for sales. Like I'm really, really interested in exploring new things because I see it, the possibility to change the way we interact with clothes. And that's my goal. I don't necessarily need to sell 10,000 units to feel like a success in, in these investigations. Mm-hmm. Do you have someone on your team who is thinking about that? Yeah, luckily I do. I have an amazing sales team at International Playground. They they um, do all the uh, meetings every season, go to the trade shows and, and show our collection around. So I'm lucky. To, I've had them since the start, and I think that also informs how easy it is for me to not feel as tied to sales. But of course, it's the thing that makes us run. Like, we have no investor. We are totally self-funded via our wholesale. So if we have a bad season and no one likes the colors we chose and no one buys it, then that that's the end. Like there's no safety net. And so every season for us is a make or break. Like it's very much, um, I guess risky to be like a young company without investment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and so in order to not let that happen, how do you, gauge what the customer is going to be interested in how do you make something that uh that you know that you know is going to be a hit well at this point i mean we've been doing this for six years and we've been so lucky to see customers come into the studio try on our swim and it like they're like i've never felt this confident in swim like i love when people are able to come in and you can see their whole idea about how they themselves and their body are supposed to look in swimwear changing and that's really meaningful to us too and I think focusing on fit and quality in our swim and and also focusing on making women feel good about themselves because buying a bathing suit is a scary process and no one really enjoys that as a female. Right. So that's uh, definitely something we focus on as well. Great. And and you guys have also had a lot of celebrity clients. uh, So how has that helped uh, get your name out there and put the business out there? Yeah, definitely. We've had the honor of working with people that we admire like Beyonce, Madonna, Nicki Minaj, so many incredible fearless women have come to us and that's a, a, a serious honor and like seeing them live is probably the highlight of my life. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure seeing Beyonce wearing, wearing your designs is a pretty cool experience. Uh, and, and so the celebrity influencer side, uh, has clearly, you know, helped put you guys on the map. What, and you mentioned, uh, you started with a love of fla- uh, fashion blogs. Uh, have you worked with influencers at all? And, uh, and if so, why aren't, you know, why are not? Not really. I'm down for it. Um, We've just been a small company and not really just like sending our stuff into the ether. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm totally down. 
Yeah. Would you say that since you're focusing, um, on the, the high concept wearable tech side, you've had to sort of put your resources elsewhere rather than places like, um, social media or influencer marketing and that, that type of thing. Um, no, I think it all works in tandem. I think one thing that is a challenge for us to be honest, getting to, I think what you're asking is like, because we have this high tech focus, it sometimes make us seem not as approachable or not as shoppable. Is that kind of, and I think influencers definitely add that human side and like, this is really wearable. This is something that, you know, you could totally wear too because I'm wearing it. And so I think that is of value and showing that there's two sides to our company is of value. Right. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's definitely interesting because you mentioned that, you know, you're from the start, you wanted your fashion to be accessible. Uh, so, so how, how have you sort of battled both sides? Yeah, I think that's sort of a brand positioning question. I don't know. I'm totally bad at this because I'm one of those people that doesn't care what other people think of me and I'm always going to be doing what interests me and not necessarily trying to appeal to the masses. That's me personally. That's my own personality. And so, um, it's hard because I did found this company, so I have to figure out um, how to make it a mass appeal. But I think it's done that on its own. You know, our swimsuits are our like economic driver. Those have been such a success and sales success. And luckily, we have tons of amazing women wearing our swim, and so we just have to do that as well as the weird, crazy tech stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so going on the the weird, crazy tech stuff. Where do you hope to see? that industry in the next five or 10 years? So my goal and my dream for, um, one thing I love about body scanning and 3d printing is uh, I really believe that in the future, everyone will have their body scan on their phone. They'll just like you have selfies on your phone. Now they'll be able to shop online, download the files, apply it to their body scan to get the measurements to fit correctly and then print it out at home. So I think like that full, I would love to hack the Givenchy runway, you know, like what if a hacker could get into those files before they hit the runway and start downloading it and have the entire collection be printing at their home. I just love that anarchy of everyone having full customization of their garments. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's a, that's a crazy future. It'd be like the Napster of designer clothing. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's coming. Oh, wow. I would download the Givenchy. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. Great. Well, I think we're out of time. Um, thank you so much, Becca, for joining us and thank you for the conversation. Thank you. 